During the pandemic, more medical services were delivered remotely than ever before. But as New York emerges from the public health emergency caused by COVID-19, state policymakers need to determine the right utilization of telehealth in order to access care and high-quality care moving forward. This summer, the state health department announced that Medicaid will continue to provide comprehensive coverage of telehealth through the end of 2024. For more on the future of telehealth in New York, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Dr. Paul Papia, Chair of the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Nassau University Medical Center, who's speaking to us in his capacity as president of the Medical Society of the State of New York. Welcome to the show, Dr. Papia. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having us. So the state health department recently surveyed more than 8,700 New Yorkers who consumed health care over the last two years, and more than 80% accessed at least some services remotely through telehealth. So for starters, I'm curious, during the pandemic, did you have any experience with telehealth, either in practice or as a patient? No, we did. We did use it as, as part of our practice because it was it was difficult for people to come in. You couldn't really access the hospitals at that point. Everybody was kind of pretty much on lockdown. And there's certain things that you can do. And for our field, follow-ups were okay to do that way. It's not as good sometimes for initial visits. Let's say you had a broken leg. I'm not going to be able to take an x-ray over the internet. But for mental health, for follow-up visits, for patients that I knew very well, and sometimes for some first-time patients, it would be an acceptable and actually a very good thing. With the time, over, over uh, COVID helped us develop the whole new area of telehealth. This is great uh, for, for, for mental health because most of the time, they, you know, most of their conversations are talk. It's actually good for patients who don't have the ability to get in a car and drive someplace. Sometimes there's people that are, you know, wheelchair bound or have difficulty ambulating. And this is a godsend for them, really, to tell you the truth, that they're able to make, see a doctor, talk with them, and do that all from the comfort of their own home. Now, this is not for everybody. This is not for everything, but it's actually good for people. The other piece that, that's in there that, that is good for the system, but also is suppose you don't have internet service. Suppose you don't have a cell phone and you can just do audio and talk on the phone. This is also another area that's covered under this bill, and it's it's something that's actually very good for that. Yeah, when it comes to actually offering telehealth services, are there obstacles to providing them? Is it simply ensuring you have the logistical infrastructure, whether that is a clean telephone line or a good internet connection? Or can there be more bureaucratic obstacles as well in terms of what insurance companies will cover, for example? Okay, so the initial problem was with this, it was brand new to everybody. The insurance companies didn't understand it, didn't want to recognize it in the beginning because it's a telephone call, right? Or it's a vision over there. You're not seeing the patient. You're not being able to say that you touched the patient. And so nobody really wanted to pay for that in the beginning. And as time went on, people said, listen, this is where we are right now. We have to do this. The medical society with the presidents that were involved at that time lobbied very heavily for it. There's a lot of people in certain areas upstate. When I've traveled upstate, you lose your cell phone service. There's actually signs on the road say, this area does not have good cell phone service. So you have people that live in those areas and they have 
a decreased ability to get around, this is perfect for them. But to answer your question more precisely, it was the fact that nobody wanted to pay for this in the beginning. And through lobbying efforts and through a lot of people saying that there were limitations, the insurance companies paid for it. But then they wanted to pay at a lesser rate. They didn't want to pay if you didn't have the visual. So a lot of those things got cleaned up over the years. Well, as we emerge from the public health emergency, which included the suspension of certain requirements and added certain caveats for what might be covered, are there certain insurance rules or state regulations that you think need to be looked at or at least be part of a conversation uh, moving forward to reflect this new dynamic? This survey in the law that they enacted covers us through December of 2024. Mm -hmm. So that gives us a little bit more time to do it. Look, in, in my opinion, there is sometimes where there's no substitute for being seen in person. However, in mental health, it's not such a big requirement. Let's put some stuff on the table that you can't do, right? Like I said earlier, you won't be able to, to evaluate somebody with a broken leg over the internet, right? You're not going to be able to send them the casting material and let them put the cast on. You can't take an x-ray over the internet. However, in some fields where somebody has cancer or somebody has mental health issues, you can talk with them over because that's probably only what you were going to do in the office. You're not really able to take vital signs, right? The law makes provisions that uh, at least every so periodically, the person will have to come in person to see you. But it creates an ability for patients to be seen by internet and get some care. And it also will allow somebody to say, listen, you don't look so good. I think you should come in. I think there's, this, is, this has provided a lot of stuff. And, and over the, the, the passage of time with the refining of stuff, many of these conferences weren't done. You know, businesses now do that, right? People commute from home now. They they, they they work from home and they do a lot of stuff. So I think this has been a very, very good place as we're emerging from there. If there, There'll always be some availability and some need for the telehealth services. And as time goes on, you know, we'll develop more stuff. Assuming telehealth does remain a large portion of how New Yorkers access healthcare services, do you think medical professionals need to have training that is reflective of this dynamic so that they are well-versed in maybe conducting an exam remotely and asking questions that they otherwise might have answered through visual cues that they might have done in person? So I'll use myself as an example. In the very, very beginning, I have residents that work with me and the residents were able to do better work on the computer than I was. So it helped me. But with time, I have learned, and, and my trainers were the residents. I'm able to negotiate Zoom, go through all of that, the peculiarities that you need to run it. But yes, I think that the physicians could benefit from this. I wouldn't make it a mandatory course. This probably is not for every physician to do either. But those who, who will learn to do this, can, can, you know, can take advantage of it. Do you think that there can be, as the result of an increased use of telehealth, any changes in the cost of delivering healthcare, or because doctors will still need physical locations, even if they're not being utilized by patients, there's not really savings to be realized from this remote delivery of healthcare? 
if you talk to any physician, they'll probably tell you that the reimbursement rates are always too low to begin with. So I and, and I would I would say the same thing. However, there there might be some cost savings, but then I, you know the physician will have to have all this equipment available. They'll have to set aside time. They'll have to take away from their actual treating of patients in person. They they still will employ some of the other medical staff that they need for the other place, you know, and, and those people are full-time people. So it's not unless you're going to convert your office to all part-time. There are some savings to be had there. I don't know that the savings are tremendous. The best part about this is to be convenience for people who can't really travel in. And maybe some of the cost savings would be in the other services. If somebody had to come to my office and they couldn't get here, they'd have to take an ambulance. And the ambulance bills are fairly high. And, and then the ambulance has to come back and get them. And, and there'll be savings there. I don't know how much savings that I would want to take out of the pockets of the physicians who do this because there's an added cost to them for being able to do the telehealth. What sort of entity do you think would be or should be responsible for determining moving forward what types of services can be administered via telehealth? Should there be some sort of blue ribbon state commission to determine the best way to deliver services? Or should it be left up to individual doctors in collaboration with their insurers that they utilize? What's the best way to make, I guess, a comprehensive and concise list? If you let the individual doctors do it, I think they will find the level that's good for them in all the areas. However, the insurance companies who are going to pay for this or the state who Medicaid that's going to pay for this, they may want to put a blue ribbon commission on it. I would hope that they would ask members of the medical field, the medical society, even our, you know, our society to help come up with, with where the best utilization is. Clearly, you can see that it's good for mental health. It's good for some follow-up visits, but there's going to be no substitute for somebody to be seen inside. Some of the cost savings that they will ask for would be in the transportation of the patients back and forth. If they want to put a blue ribbon committee together, I wouldn't say no to it. But I think that as time goes on, people will want to say, hey, why are we paying for this and why, why can't it cost less? And there's some things that will cost a little bit less, but not, not a lot less. Do you think if telehealth does become a common way of accessing healthcare moving forward, that oversight of doctors and medical professionals more broadly needs to change in some way to be reflective of the different way that more and more medical care is being delivered? Okay, so without the ability to see patients, without patients that can't come in in person, for all of the other reasons we discussed previously, right? Nobody's lowering the malpractice cost to the physician. <laughs> you probably have to take as a physician additional steps to make sure that you're being thorough. Could you eliminate the amount of total patients that you see in a day? I don't have a problem with somebody looking into that. Um, but the, I, I think that the, the crux of the problem here is when you're going to see patients and you want to make sure you're doing a good job, it may take you more time, even though that even though that the patient is remote, because there's a lot of other things that you might want to do. Like a neurologist may want to do some part of the exam and see what the patient can do to, to accomplish that stuff. But I won't be able to test your strength. I won't be able to do a lot of other things on, on this thing. So there, there is, it, it'll find its way. I mean, if you look on 
on TV commercials, right? They show a company sells a thing where you can put two fingers on each side of a piece of paper and it transmits to your phone and it takes an EKG. Is that going to be a substitute for the EKG that a physician who's a cardiologist do in their office? I don't think so. But it, it, it does help. It does it is it is a screening tool. So I think that there will be this will still find more ways to do it. More ways to find that this can be improved and more people could be seen on telehealth, but it'll also be sure that you need to be sometime in person as well. Well, we've been speaking with Dr. Paul Papia. He is the president of the Medical Society of the State of New York. Dr. Papia, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.